Welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring changemakers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Prosper Project. Today I am with Jenny Kitchen. Jenny is the CEO of multi-award winning digital design agency Yo-Yo Design. She works with clients such as Marie Curie, Vivo Barefoot, Mercedes-Benz, and Universal Music. And the agency regularly wins awards for their work, and their culture, recently scooping Campaign's Best Places to Work. And for those of you like me that didn't recognize the name Campaign right out of the box, it is a marketing publication that is one of the leading publications in that space in the UK. Jenny herself was recently named the Management Today 35 Under 35 Young Business Leader of the Year. She has also led her agency to make the legally binding commitment to manage business using the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit as a certified B Corporation. And now as a B Corp ambassador, Jenny regularly promotes the B Corp values by supporting other companies through the accreditation process, as well as speaking at conferences and on podcasts like this one, about building better businesses that put people and the planet at the heart of the organization. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really, really excited to have you here. So, you know, your digital design agency is really inspiring. You've done incredible work and you've been running it for quite some time, actually. So about 10 years which puts you, if you were one of the 35 under 35, it sounds like you started your agency quite young. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, during university, then I was working for a, another marketing agency and spent a number of years in London working for large corporations doing really exciting things. But there was always a niggle in the back of my mind that it just, everything was driven by revenue. Everything was driven by money. And some of the decisions that were made, I strongly disagreed with. And I got quite disillusioned with that world. And at 24, I think, I was in a bit of a crossroad situation whereby actually I was going to jack it all in and go and work with autistic kids and follow my sort of psychology kind of interests. But then an opportunity came about with my business partner, Greg, who was, he'd actually started the business, but wanted to take it to the next level. And so a few of us came together and sort of yo-yo, as you see it now, was born and sort of created. So yeah, 24, 25, very, very wet behind the ears, (laughs) but huge amounts of passion, huge amounts of sort of, we knew what we were doing in terms of the profession, but in terms of running a business, I think our strategy was, we just want to do some good stuff. We want to be nice people, you know, which isn't 
when you think of all the sort of mission statements and sort of value propositions and things like that, it's a little bit naive, maybe. But at the same time, those values were always there. And it's just been, thankfully, as we've grown and grown in sophistication and grown our community and sort of awareness of what's out there, then we've become more sophisticated in understanding how we actually cement those values properly into a business culture. I love that. And so, you know, you talked about having that inspiration. And first of all, I think that sometimes our naivete is an advantage because I think back and I had kind of the same thing and I'd been working for other companies for a long time, but because you don't know, you take a leap of faith, right? And then you figure it out. It's like, I already took the job, so I'm just going to figure it out. We'll make it work. Whereas maybe if you could see around the corner, you wouldn't have taken that leap. So I'm glad you did. I'm sure you're glad that you did. But what were those first few years like for you, you know, kind of building this company going in thinking that, like you said, like, well, we're just going to start it to do good work and be good people. What were some of the early wins and challenges for you? I think a lot of the time then we were, we were very fortunate that we had some of our own clients, but we were also white labeling through other agencies and other businesses. And so we were working on these very sort of high profile sort of pieces of work with very well-known brands, et cetera, but done through the sort of guise of another company. But what that meant was that we got kind of, you know, incredible expertise. We got some great money kind of coming in, but after a kind of few years, actually, we need to actually create a proper brand of our own and have those clients on our books. And so thankfully that was sort of, that coincided with other brands wanting to work directly with us. So, which was a great kind of pivoting point, I guess. So we stopped relying on other agencies and started picking up those relationships directly. And of course, once you have those relationships, then you get into a high level, able to sort of strategically influence the brand's and I guess just have better conversations. And so that was a sort of turning point. But in terms of the sort of first few years, I sort of think back to it and the naivety point that you just mentioned <laughs> that resonates so much because of the fact that you don't have, I don't know, I just didn't really take no for an answer. I was sort of always, I mean, I, I still am in a way of just such an optimist. Oh, come on, we can figure it out. Yeah, it might be hard, but what's the worst that can happen? Let's just do it. And sometimes, sometimes bad decisions were definitely made. Um, <laughs> but again, then some very, very good decisions were made. And instead of sort of thinking it through and thinking it through to the nth degree and wasting months and months and years, right. then we just kind of went for it and figured it out on the way. But I remember sort of certain incidents in the first couple of years. I mean, it was just, you know, our finance function was basically at the end of each month, I would have a calculator and like tot up the money that we would have made. And it's like, it's ridiculous now. So there was no forecast and planning. <laughs> and at the end, of the meeting, like, yeah, we made money. <laughs> we were actually making sort of uh, really decent revenue coming in from very early on. But yeah, the finance function has definitely become more sophisticated than that. <laughs> so funny. I love it. Oh, gosh. So how soon did you start building team? Was that something that you did right away or was it just the two of you in the beginning? How did that work? So there was four of us in the beginning and quite quickly we got another designer. We got another developer between the four of us. Then my background is very much in marketing and client service and the business side of things. Two creative directors and a technical director. So between the four of us, then we could actually do 
pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, but having a designer and a developer sort of with us quite quickly, then it meant that obviously we could do more and we could focus more on building the business. And so then we sort of, yeah, we've grown now to about 20, 27, 28 people. So not a huge organization and yeah. we'll sort of probably sort of come on to that a little bit later, but it's exactly where we want to be. But we have no interest really in, I think we always said 30 sort of max. Yeah. Um, because I think it's there where we can make the most impact. Right. I think that's a really great perspective in looking at, you know, really the size that you want to be based on how you want to serve. Right. And so you can serve if you keep building in levels and levels, but then eventually you remove yourself from doing any of the work. And that's something that a lot of leaders aspire to, but not all. And it sounds like you're someone that still really likes knowing what's going on with the clients and having that, you know, creative output from time to time, at least. Absolutely. I mean, my brain works in a very sort of, in a way where I have to sort of fulfill it in lots of different types of ways. And I get a real kick still from having those strategic business discussions with our clients. And I also get, I mean, I worked in hospitality from the age of about 13 and I'm such a people pleaser in that way, you know, that sort of customer service element. And so it's really important for me to not only have those strategic business conversations, but also to make sure that not only our clients, but our team just get the best out of any partnerships. And so I'm still very heavily involved in setting those up, but thankfully I've got such a great team with me where I can step away and they can sort of manage all of the sort of the day-to-day and I'm not really needed. And I'm sort of <laughs> knocking on the door sometimes and they're like, yeah, you really, <laughs> you don't need to be here. <laughs> so funny. So tell our listeners a little bit about what kind of clients you work with and then what the process is in working with your clients. So we have a real range of clients and that was again, one of the sort of real drivers for the business and that hasn't changed. We could certainly make more money if we had a niche sector and just got very, very kind of good at a particular sort of area. But our niche is that we're just really good at digital design, (laughs) digital design and build. And our team want the variety and we can help more people and create more innovation within sectors by applying our knowledge in financial services and bringing that into the charity sector, for instance. And sort of spreading those ideas is really important to us. So we work with about 40, 50% of our work is within the charity and not-for-profit sector. So within sort of some of the major charities within the UK, then we have been or are the lead digital agency for those charities. And that can take on all sorts of different forms. With Marie Curie, for instance, then It's always a funny one because these types of clients come to us and say, we want you to make you redundant at some point. (laughs) Will you help us to do that? (laughs) And what they mean by that is to help them with digital education, help them to build a team, help them sort of, we help them with interview processing and governance and processes, as well as actually delivering digital services. So there is you know, most of our work is website design and build or digital products and things like that. But we also have this element as well, whereby we're helping to build digital teams and digital expertise within our clients. 
So I have a question because I find that fascinating. Is that something that people just started asking for or did you decide? It sounds like it's something people asked for, but was there ever any point where you said, you know, this should be a line of service that we offer where we can basically train people, help them hire the right people to put in-house. I've noticed in my own business that that's been a trend the last couple of years. I've been asked to go in and train teams or help with hiring. And it's just been cyclical, some of the things that have happened. So have you found that the same way? Absolutely. And I think it's certainly the first time that it occurred wasn't us sort of creating a service line around this. It was very much sort of a sort of charity that asked us if we could do it. And we did. For the charity sector, especially, I think it's really, really important. Obviously, every single penny, pound, dollar counts. And you know, sometimes, to be honest, I think quite poor decisions do get made based on price because of the fact that, you know, the charity will scrimp and save and sort of not get the right professionals in, which then end up costing more in the long run. But at the same time, then, you know, our services, we're not the cheapest out there. We're not the most expensive, but we're not the cheapest out there because we've got incredibly skilled people internally. And so sometimes with charities, especially or with any company, but sort of there's no use us for the right things. And actually there is benefit in bringing in an internal team for especially sort of business as usual kind of aspects that actually, quite frankly, our team who are highly creative don't necessarily want to do that. They are, Absolutely. Much, more, you know, they are much more for their own kind of personality type and fulfillment in life and career progression and all of those types of things. They want to work on those kind of projects where they can really sort of, I guess, sort of use all of their sort of creative tools to create a big impact and then move on to somewhere else to create a big impact. Yeah. And so it works for everyone. But having said that, that's not the relationship that we have with sort of a lot of our other clients. And we do go in there and they don't have the time, the resource and things like that to undertake that type of thing. And they'd much prefer for them to focus on what they're good at and to outsource that whole piece of around digital to an agency like ours. And whereby, yes, we will be doing their whole digital sort of operations. Yeah, that's great. So it really kind of runs the gamut depending on the needs of the organization. So you still allow for a lot of customization in that way. Yeah. And again, sort of, it's been a debate over the years around how to structure service lines around, again, (laughs) it would probably generate more money if we had those packages. And the packages are just, these are the three things that we offer. You can buy this. But again, kind of people and companies are really unique in their ways. And we don't want to sell things that aren't useful and aren't right for that particular sort of organization. And so, although we do have huge amounts of sort of process and kind of expertise in different areas, then the customization piece is really important for us to ensure that we have complete transparency with our clients and that we're giving them what they need, not what we want to push. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So what is a recent project that you've worked on that has really meant a lot to your team? So maybe it's not something that you even directly worked on, but just really you know, was like, this is why I'm here. This is what I love working on. Can you just share one example of that? And just for any listeners that have worked with Yo-Yo, it doesn't mean it's her favorite. We're just giving an example to inspire our audience here. (laughs) Well, I'm going to sit on the fence and not actually choose any of our direct clients. But over the last five weeks, 
in response to the sort of Russian invasion of Ukraine, then a lot of our team have been wondering, as have the rest of the community, about what we can do, how we can support. And I'm not sure sort of the situation in the US, but in the UK, then we've got a scheme, Homes for Ukraine. So it's a sort of visa scheme welcoming guests from Ukraine into the country. It's had a bit of a rocky start, but there's some momentum sort of growing now. And so we were working with the council and local community groups as to see what role Yoyo can play within that. And over sort of 24-hour period of a crazy amounts of conversation, then we all agreed that developing a website which houses all of the, all the, this information would be a really valuable sort of resource. And so we had this vision, spoke to sort of put it out to the team and, oh my goodness, about 80% of the team all volunteered to take different parts. Huge sort of undertaking because there's no content really that really? So all the content needed to be produced as well as designing and building the website. Right. So absolutely humongous sort of undertaking. A project like that would take four months within work hours. <laughs> and we did it <laughs> four weeks outside of work hours. Oh, um, and, I mean, it's sure, we had, you know, treble, quadruple the amount of people on it, but still it was a huge undertaking. But it just fantastic sort of community spirit. And this site now has gone live. And it hosts kind of all the information for guests coming to the local area. So about education, about employment, about where they can go, about events, all translated into Ukrainian and Russian as well. Oh my um, goodness. And all of the community response, how community can help, donations, volunteering, et cetera. And then just about, like, about Ukrainian culture and how to integrate and how to sort of, I guess, come together and build something together so that, you know, exchange of language, et cetera. So yeah, it's been a phenomenal sort of four weeks and it's something that's, you know, very, very close to sort of all of us. And yeah, I'm just full of pride for everyone involved in the project. Oh, that's amazing. And we'll get that link from you and put it in the show notes for this episode so people can take a look at what you created. That's just really moving. So that kind of brings me to my next question. Yo-Yo, like Prosper for Purpose, is a certified B Corporation. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about why you decided to go through the process and when? Because it used to be every other year we had to recertify. Thankfully, now it's every three years. It's a bit of a process. It's a heavy lift to be a B Corp certification. So why was that so important to Yo-Yo? As I mentioned from the beginning, it was always sort of, you know, be good, (laughs) do nice things. Not much of a business strategy, <laughs> granted. You learned it. You learned it. <laughs> and, but about four years ago now, maybe three, four years ago, then I got sort of heavily involved, I guess, in an organization called Extinction Rebellion, which is sort of climate activism. And I never glued myself to anything or never got arrested, but I was heavily involved in it in terms of yeah, just, I guess it opened my eyes hugely to the situation and the precarious situation that we're in. And if I'm honest, there was a lot of climate anxiety and I, a lot of despair and I didn't quite know how to channel that. Hence the sort of activism, because I'm such an action focused person that sitting at home and reading about this stuff just wasn't doing anything. You know, it, it just was making me more and more miserable. 
And then sort of spent sort of a bit of time within Extinction Rebellion. And a friend of mine turned around and said, it's great that you're doing that, but you have a business. And actually the business is more than an individual voice. There is potentially more impact that can be made as a result of using your business for good, as opposed to you as an individual, which was an excellent piece of advice. So then that was when I did sort of quite a lot of research and things around the different um, community groups or assessment sort of organizations around there. And obviously B Corp or B Lab was the sort of you know, best organization that I found. And so again, action focused, it was, well, let's do this in three months. <laughs> it was an absolutely crazy period of, I think it was over Christmas as well. <laughs> but the thing I love about B Corp is the fact that it's, you know, we were already on that journey and it wasn't like we had to make huge organizational changes as a result, but it provides such a fantastic framework around it, a checklist of all the things. And, you know, a lot of the things we'd thought about, but a lot of other things we hadn't, and there were obvious things, but it was just those small aspects of using a local hospitality kind of, you know, a local restaurant for your takeaway, as opposed to a sort of McDonald's you know, having kind of consideration and being conscious about your choices, about how to spend the money or what suppliers to work with, or, you know, all of those things. And then it provided, yeah, such a fantastic framework for that. And a great community, right? Amazing community. Like, I felt so proud of being sort of part of it and like yourself as sort of Be Cool ambassador, but also 18 months ago or so, we were very, very fortunate to be on the pitch list for B-Lab UK and won that contract. And Yay, so, that's amazing. <laughs> and so we launched their website and are heavily sort of involved in their digital and sort of marketing operations here in the UK. Wow. And so even more kind of close to the community and involved yeah. in the work that they do. That's great. And so when did you first certify? It was about two, a little bit years ago. Okay, so, so you haven't had to recertify yet. Okay, well, that's next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in the middle of my third certification. So I feel like it gets a little bit more challenging every time, but that's okay because we want to make sure that we're upholding the standards that we say that we uphold. So I think that's one of the benefits to me is, you know, it's not an easy thing. And the dedication to going through the process really demonstrates your commitment to balance people, planet and profit. So I think that's absolutely. And I think it's sort of, I mean, once you're your third go at recertifying, which is incredible, well done, then I think it might get a bit harder. But for us, we had lots of elements, obviously, that we did for the first time, but there was also loads that we hadn't done, but we knew that was going to be part of the roadmap. And so between sort of then and next year, then we've got some quite sort of large elements such as changing our banking and changing our pensions and things like that we've been doing over the last kind of few years. And so I'm hoping, hoping our goal is 10% increase in the score. So I'm hoping, yeah, we'll be able to do that. That's awesome. That's so good. So Jenny, was there any question that I should have asked you but didn't? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Not that I can think of it on the top of my head. I guess whenever I sort of talk about this particular subject, you know, there was so much that we can do as B Corps or sort of individuals involved in this space. So it's always kind of interesting to know sort of personal passions, I guess. So maybe a question on that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So other than being an activist who doesn't get glued or arrested, what other things really inspire you? And like, what were you like as a kid? Like, what were those passions and how did they lead you here? How's that for a question I should ask? It's an excellent question. I love it because you said taking it and gone down. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> I guess I think one of the things, so I grew up in France and I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere and went to a local French school and no one really spoke English. And we had a sort of large farm out there. My dad learned how to farm and sort of, he's a very sort of into nature and to sort of living off the land and things like that. So even though I then, we came back to England when I was 12 and education, university, et cetera. And I sort of forgot about those roots sort of through those years, I guess. I wasn't that bothered about it. But now kind of coming back to that, I think the environment and especially with the sort of climate peace and the sort of climate emergency and things, then I think that whole, I guess, sort of my upbringing in that way had a greater influence on me than maybe I'd once thought. And so I'm very sort of passionate now about that regenerative sort of, how can we not kind of get our kind of products from China? How can we sort of be smaller? You know, I love the idea of thinking globally in terms of sort of ideas and, you know, opportunities like this for us to talk. I love that, but how can you act more locally? So how can you and again, it's fantastic to support charities from afar, but also how, what are the things that you can do right on your doorstep? And what are the things that we have an allotment as part of the company? Um, so we encourage people to sort of, you know, to learn gardening and actually kind of growing your own vegetables and things like that. I mean, the appetite is mixed, but we're trying to encourage it. <laughs> <laughs> is your team all in one place or are you working virtually? I guess, you know, when you talk about, it sounds like you have really close relations with your team members. And while you might consider that still a small team, especially over the last couple of years, what does that look like for you? How is that kind of, and I know that's a little bit of a sharp turn in the conversation, but I'm really curious because you talk about team a lot. And it just, I get this sense of closeness. So is it a physical closeness as well as that connectedness or what does that look like for your business? So we do have an office, but we have sort of like an unrelenting commitment to flexibility. And so instead of sort of mandating what people need to do, it's very much try to figure it out within your own lives. We want to come together and we want our community is very, very strong. But at the same time, some people prefer working from home. Some people come into the office, et cetera. But it's a really interesting question about during, you know, the last couple of years, then it's opened up sort of being able to recruit people from all over the world. And that has been a hot topic, especially, you know, it can be challenging in, in our sector to recruit talent. But after many different conversations around this topic, then the where we have settled and this won't work for everyone, but where we have settled as Yo-Yo is that actually it's really important. The community aspect of the team is really, really important to us. And so, of course, if we cannot find local talent, we will go elsewhere. But our preference will always be to hire people that can commute into the office so that we can have those moments of togetherness and collaboration. And then for things, for projects like this sort of Ukrainian project and things that we've been working on, 
or when we do litter picking or gardening or whatever we do sort of on a local, <laughs> on a local sort of basis, it's more people are more connected to it because it is within their local community and we're helping out one another sort of whether that's, you know, their local schools or sort of projects that are close to them. Like West Kent Mind is, you know, a mental health charity. It's a lo- on a local basis. We much prefer supporting sort of charities and community groups like that because we feel like we can make more difference, make a bigger difference, but also we can build better sort of partnerships as a result. That's great. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've talked to people and everyone has a slightly different perspective on that. And it's just really interesting to really understand how different companies are navigating that. So I did warn you about my last question and that (laughs) is... So the literal question is, what does it mean for you to prosper? Because this is the Prosper Project. So, you know, personally and professionally, what does that look like for Jenny? I think there's a few different elements to this. So firstly, in the business, we've always, you know, in business, it's always about, you know, growth, growth, growth. And that looks like more money, more profits, more people, or for for a service business anyway. And we've done lots lots of reflection on this. And we... It's not that we're anti-growth, but we're anti-getting to a point where we can't have our values realized within our organization. And so what we're thinking that 30, 40 people is where we think that we can make the biggest impact. But of course, we're not quite there yet. So we will see kind of whether that changes. So prosperity is definitely, it's not necessarily about growth for growth's sake but it's about if growth can enable us to do more of the things that we want to do, then we will kind of prosper in that way. The other element to this is sort of one of my personal sort of aspects is around female empowerment. As a sort of female business leader, it's especially important to me, of course, when I was 25, whenever I went to digital networking groups, I was pretty much the only female there. Thankfully, that's changed a lot now. But it's still a real challenge and to find and to find your voice amongst that is a real challenge. And you see it from manals, which I heard the other day, all men panels. <laughs> oh, yes, I love that future. That's awesome. And it's true. I've not gone to events because of some of that. Like, really, there's there's no woman or person of color on that panel. You couldn't find any. But go ahead. Yeah, exactly that. But I think it needs a different tactic because it's not good enough to just say, oh, well, we asked and it was only men that put their hand up. Yeah, that's not good enough because men and women act in a different way. You know, sort of all of the experiences that females have had over the years. Me, for instance, kind of going into a room, plenty of rooms where I am the only female in that room. It's nerve wracking. And so, of course, I'm not going to be necessarily, I'm not a sort of brash kind of person. And so I'm not necessarily going to be the one to stick my hand kind of up and say, yes, move out the way. I'm going to do this. And so it does sometimes need a bit more encouragement. And so knowing that about myself, then I'm very, very keen to sort of help support women in different ways. So I run a number of different um, sort of female leadership groups and sort of run events in different sort of in different guises. And all of that is designed to raise the sort of female, female leaders and to help sort of people to, sh- and to have a voice. 
And for me, that again is prosperity. That's what the future looks like. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Jenny Kitchen, thank you so much for being with us today on the Prosper Project. And for all of you, take a look at Yo-Yo Design. We will have links to the website, the Ukrainian site that Yo-Yo built and some of Jenny's personal links on the show notes below or above this episode. I think it's below this episode. So (laughs) (laughs) until next week, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Prosper Project. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.